This is Liminal Leaders, a podcast exploring the changing nature of leadership in business transformation. We are your hosts, Martin Dowson and Brian Hoadley. And not only are we producing this podcast, but we're also writing a book on liminal leadership. Each episode follows one of two formats. It's either a drop-in session where Martin and I discuss various themes in our book, reflecting on how the topics have manifested in our own practice and where we might take our writing next. Or Brian and I have a discussion with a guest expert or contributor who we want to interview as part of our research. Either way, these are pretty much the raw recordings of our conversations, with minimal editing allowing you to listen in on our working and thinking process. In today's episode, Brian and I are discussing how business is changing and what impact that is having on the role of design in organisations. And actually, this conversation tended to become a much, much wider one, almost covering the entire scope of liminal leaders in the book that we are uh, researching through this podcast. You'll be dropping into our conversation where we started talking about ESG, a topic that is fundamentally about systems. No matter which part of ESG you're looking at, whether you're looking at climate or social responsibilities, it is all about systems within systems. And we go on to talk about the evolution of the purpose of a business, including the Business Roundtable of America's redefinition of that of that term, data-informed business operating models. We touch on the on, on change and transformation and the approach to it via the role of executives, but also via the role of design leaders. There's a lot that we cover in this, and it really is one of the core tenets of the exploration of, of liminal leaders. Hopefully by listening to this, it'll spark off some thoughts for you, some questions for you, and we'd really love to hear what those were, uh, what your reflections are on the topics that we're discussing. I see this episode probably as one that's going to spawn many, many more, actually something we touch on in the conversation. So have a listen in. And please, please get on to liminalleaders.com and uh, share your thoughts on this with us. I'll leave you to drop in on our conversation now. I don't know. You have to you have to look at these things in context. But I think I think in today's sort of you know short termist shareholder value driven mm-hmm. lens. You know, if it hasn't returned to media value, it's not seen as a success. Absolutely. Well, this, um, is, where, this is where ESG is interesting because I think yeah. I think where where investors are starting to are starting to back you know um, ESG initiatives, company initiatives, corporate, they're starting to invest in um, you know those companies that that support those kinds of initiatives. I think it's going to be fascinating to see where that goes because because will. Will the fact that the money funneling into an organization that comes tied to um, that comes tied to um, expectations, a specific set of expectations, yeah, um, change the way the company then begins to think about how it does business and who it does business with um, and what it produces and how it engages and and everything else? So, so it's possible that generationally a new generation of investors begin to drive change through the way they invest so if you want to get that investment you have to you have to be you have to be a company that um that thinks in that way you have to be a company that positions itself in that space um and and maybe not by choice but 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 
simply because you you want or need the investment, um, mm-hmm. you you begin to you begin to develop or build social purpose into your organization. I, I um, mean, I have this thing as well. It doesn't. I don't think it matters how we get there. Oh, sorry, let me put it differently. Sorry, it doesn't matter how we get there. Um, I don't think it matters why the the change happens. Yep. If it if it embeds change in the system. Yeah. So um I've I've had I've heard this conversation before, people going, Oh, well, they're only doing it because it now it makes them better money. Yep. I'm like, great. Great. If the outcome we want makes them better money. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, but they're not doing it because they want to save the planet. I don't care. Does it save the planet? Yes. Do yeah. they continue to exist as a business because they're making profit? Yes. Well, what are you worried about? You know that they're. You know, there's a there's an easy thing that people do, which is characterize people in a business that is um, not aligned to their social purpose and outcome as uh, not a not a good business you know, that, that um, ethical judgment of the word good, and therefore not good people who are making explicit decisions to cause harm when actually, in fact, they're, they're actors within a much wider system um, well, who are stuck in a loop. So anything that breaks that loop, like you've just said, financial investors going, oh, there's more money to be made if this company does these things. I'm going to look for those factors. And people get kind of nudged towards that because it drives the right metrics and the measurements. And then at some point in time, I believe the majority of those people go, oh, thank goodness doing that also aligns to our financial outcomes. I feel better. Um, and when they go to another company, they'll go, do you know what? It, we managed to do it in the other place, you know, and they'll have a different standard and a different bar, but it's not going to change overnight. No, and I, I think this is, I think this is where you know, government through regulation has historically been able to make impacts in spaces where society kind of has gotten stuck. Yeah. So, so if I take something, you know, the the in the UK, you know, is highly controversial at the moment. Uh, ULEs, and yep. and you know the expansion of these these zones within cities. Um, so, you know, it's a big, it's a big issue in London now where, you know, they're going to expand the ULA zone mm-hmm. to be basically everything within the M25, um, uh, by sometime later this year. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people in, you know, up in arms around that, but, but there, you know, there has been, there has been proof that, that expanding the ULA zones in other cities has reduced the amount of pollutants in the mm-hmm. air. Now we know the pollutants are causing, you know, all kinds of respiratory issues um, and premature death, which has knock-on effects on things like the NHS and other system. Mm-hmm. So if we look at it systemically, um, you know, it's it may not be popular, right? Yeah. But but it's 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 driving a number of things. So you know, it's driving it's going to drive behavioral change towards the towards the you know the government's view of of not selling, you know. Uh, petrol or diesel vehicles by what is it 2030 i think it's uh yes 2030 yeah that's when that kicks Uh, in in i think it's 2030 in the uk Mm -hmm. so so you know it'll it'll start driving that behavioral change now towards Mm -hmm. towards doing that because people you know will become frustrated with having to pay those fees and and maybe start making some of those behavioral changes on their own 
um, it's going to drive, you know, it's going to drive potential, you know, it, it may drive down, you know, congestion in, you know, urban areas. And, and it may force us to look at other ways of handling, you know, population and transport and, and things anyway. Uh, you know, if you look at, if you look at post pandemic office use, you know, that's still up in the air mm-hmm. in terms of where that's going and what's going to yeah. happen. Um, you know, will will people be commuting into city centers anyway in the same way that they were before, or will they become more more socially urban centers? Yeah. Um, you know, if it if it begins to drive down, you know, pollutants in the air, um, then then it lessens the impact on things like NHS, which means you have less people going to their GPs, less people, you know, developing serious respiratory issues, mm-hmm. drives down medication costs. I mean, systemically. If you start to look at, you know, just just making the change of saying we're going to expand, you know, a a pollution zone to yeah. a to a broader space, systemically it, it's got knock on effects to yeah. to lots of other areas. And those those are just ones off the top of my head. I mean, I'm sure there are I'm sure there are tons of other ones as well. Um, and this is uh, for me, this is the the crux of um, that 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 perfect example of how everything is just layers and layers and layers of system. Um, it's a double-edged sword, right? So um, what you've just described is a, a number of knock-on impacts from something that could only be could only be regulated, right? And it, and it takes a system-wide actor, like a government, um, to force a particular change. Even that government, though, um, works within a system which is voting and popularity and politics um and all of those decisions can be reversed in the name of oh yeah power and, power and influence oh yeah completely um, um however there are other systems um which are regulators who are not as although people would argue they are a little bit not as politically influenced um and can be can be set up for for kind of the longer term um so you You've you've got these kind of layers layers of influence way beyond the individual within a company, the executives within a company, the investors of the company, um, then the customers, the society, the stakeholders that they're around, um, the government, the politics, and then all and those are all externalities to the company, but then the externalities to that, which are our physical um, environment. Um, and, and the randomness that can come from that, and then other global events like wars and pandemics and things like that. And at some point in time, it's really easy just to kind of go, uh, <laughs> "What? What do I? What do I do?" Um, when you kind of expose all of this, um, and I think that overwhelm is at the root of a lot of malaise within executive leadership if not even and especially mid i think middle management in companies have learned to just ignore that right to like go one one place removed from where they are and go how can i influence my boss and the people that work um for me and the people that work alongside me in order to you know be successful at what i've been asked to do because beyond that is way too complicated even inside an organization and when you're at the executive level and you do actually have to look at all of that you it 
you you've got the same challenge, which is you look inside your company, alongside your competitors, and out to your customers. But you tend not to go much beyond that. Um, so, um, in my reading, the other thing that I was there were two things I, I that I saw in my reading this this week, or one that I've been looking at for ages, which is the Business Roundtable of America. So they've actually tried to articulate that as the the purpose of a company should move from being stake shareholder value returning value to shareholders to returning values to um to kind of four i know it's five actually um and i need to remember exactly what they are delivering value to customers investing in employees dealing fairly and ethically with suppliers supporting communities in which we work and generating long-term value for shareholders They've now said those five things are the purpose of a business. And that, that I was thinking about that this week, that's starting to tie up a lot of, a lot of things that have been going on over the last 10, 15 years. If you look at customer experience and the world of customer experience, the, the biggest thing coming out of customer experience is you've got to look at the employee experience in order to deliver a good customer experience. You're right. If you're going to deliver value to customers, you need to invest in your employees. That's the first two of the purposes of the business. Um, then um, uh, you're actually sitting within an ecosystem within which you're reliant on suppliers, not just yourself, in order to deliver to your customers. If you're thinking about your end-to-end journey as a business and how you run things, you've got to deal fairly and ethically with your suppliers. That was the third one, All right? And then... Then come the next two, which you've been talking about, which is actually you're sitting within a community, you have an impact within that community, um, and your shareholders should be looking at long-term value. And you've just been saying that the investment community is starting to look at more long-term value and how, at least in climate, they're seeing that line up. And so I, I think things are coming together, right? That's the change that's happening right now, but it's just kind of, it's not everywhere yet and not everybody's aware of it. Like, I don't think people are explicitly thinking about this enough. No, and I I think what's interesting about that, if you you think about the context of, you know, design in that ecosystem, I, I just, I just had a, you know, I just, I just had a conversation the other day with a, um, with a company that still in startup mode. And they, they have a, you know, they have a good, you know, they have a good product at their core and, you know, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's, it's data and, and AI, um, yeah. And how it, how it kind of impacts and influences design. And interesting. And, and I think the, the interesting thing is, the interesting thing is hearing the, the the kinds of challenges of you know of of companies like that and you know who they who they engage with internally and how they structure their business to engage with those individuals and those customers and who they kind of define as their their kind of customer persona types right mm-hmm. and they've you know they've chosen to kind of step back and take a a more service led service design approach to kind of mapping that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the conversation that we had was around, was around, you know, getting inside, you know, their, their customer base, getting inside those organizations and having a look at, at, 
the the kind of long tail of where the where the benefits of what they do end up in the organization. So mm-hmm. so don't just think of uh, their key client as being the the endpoint, but think about where the where the insight, where the benefit, where the value flows into the organization, mm-hmm. and then consider establishing relationships deeper into the organization with those individuals, those execs, those people who could or will benefit from the value of the product. Nice. And therefore demonstrate the demonstrate to them the value of the product. So that what happens is is they become a an influencer, a driver. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. probably they're probably, you know, from from a business standpoint, they're probably closer to influencing and decision making. Um, mm-hmm. They probably hold more budgets uh, mm-hmm. in terms of investment in in tools and and things within the organization that drive value. So so start thinking about, you know, I, I talked about, you know, map the entire ecosystem. You know, think yep. about think about taking a more systems led approach, and you know, and including the customers ecosystem in that in that system and starting to think about you know who who is who else is benefiting who who ultimately is the recipient of and and start start then redefine your strategy redefine mm-hmm. you know your approach um to be inclusive of um the yep. types of individuals across organizations and also recognize that you know uh, there will be some variance and nuance across different types of organizations. So have some flex in your system that enables you to identify those things early on in the engagement that allows you to then put some of your practices in place to, to quickly, you know, target those people, those individuals and, and then shape your organization internally to be able to map to that, to be able to deliver that value. (laughs) You know, it's, it's interesting because I think that you've hit, you've hit on something that um, I imagine that a number of people by touch on customer experience before you've talked about service design just now. Um, we've also implicit in all of this, we're talking about systems thinking um, or systems level um, attention. So there'll be people um, who we all, we know um, and who might be listening to this are going, yeah, I've been, I've been doing that for a long time. I've been helping companies look at things end to end seeing the whole system, um, mapping these things out. And I, I, there are uh, like a number of frameworks and tool sets to, to do that. I think it's just something in what you said about the particular type of client you're talking to. Um, so first of all, the activity of uh, being aware and making visible to yourself um, the, the systems within systems that you're in is the first step. You have you have to do that. And I do believe that people there have been some cohorts of people in design and change and transformation community that have been trying to do that for a long time but if we dial back like 15 years um uh, when i think i'm certainly i know i was and you will have been trying to do that that exercise would have resulted in people going yeah i can see that there's probably this other organization that impacts this i can see that this customer has these needs beyond the service that we provide but we might influence that i i get it anecdotally but I, I can't I can't quantify for you, measure, track, look at how that works. I don't have the, you know, I don't have the ability to do that. So I've only got a supposition. Um I know in the design community we've tried to make that better by researching and doing ethnographic and observation interviews and things like that to try and 
draw out that understanding, but still relatively anecdotal and qualitative. Yeah. But you said the, the client you were talking to were into data and AI. Data, I think, is the thing that will make the difference. So whilst we can map the systems by observation and anecdotally, we can now measure and track the impacts far better through data and machine learning, which can help us deal with that at scale, which now means we can observe properly, understand properly, make change, see difference, track change, uh, quantify value, and and therefore show evidence for it. I think I think that's the crucial difference. That why now is a really good time. And and in this chapter for the book, really, in, uh, that's just made me think we were kind of talking about this chapter of the book as being how's business changing and what's what what does that mean for the role of design um and i know that we're kind of talking about we we we, we knew that we need to look at systems thinking as a skill set that des- designers need to know more about but actually i think business needs to know more about but i don't think we can talk about it unless we're talking about design systems thinking and data at the same time we've got to talk about why that is the enabler or it's like the the facilitator or the i don't know whether it's the fuel i don't know what the right metaphor is that means that these things can actually really start to have impact rather than observational kind of comment yeah i mean i think i think the impact is the is the key point because you know the the number of organizations you know the the vast number of organizations out there that talk about utilizing data um, yeah. and then, you know, then you kind of press and you, you try and, you try and figure out, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, how, how are you using data? What data are you using? What are you doing with it? Um, and, and you find that, that there's a lot of talk, not a lot of action. Yeah. Um, you, you also find that, that you, you know, and, and this happens when, when, when things come along that, that look like the next best thing, you know? So when people started talking about data, you know, I, I started seeing people, you know, kind of pick that thread up and say, ah, well, you know, now we'll switch to taking a data led approach. Right. (laughs) And so often you find that after a bit of time has passed and you realize that, you know, the, the first way didn't fully work, the new way doesn't fully work. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe a blending of the two Mm -hmm. is, is a better approach. And I and I think this this sense of kind of you know human centered, data informed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I always talk about data informed versus data driven, mm-hmm. um, because data driven to me feels like you're you're almost purely using data to to make changes and decisions. Yeah. When there are so many other human, societal, you know, structural, organizational, cultural factors that need to be also considered and taken into account. Yeah. So, so to me, it's it's more of a data informed approach. Okay, you know, so so what what value does the data add to the to the conversation versus the data being the conversation? Yes. Um. And and so I think we're we're I think we're kind of in a time where, you know, we we're you know when we talk about you know when we earlier when we talk about you know ESG, for instance, you know we're not we're not just talking about data. We're talking about things that. Um, are more personal things that things that are more 
human values driven. Um, you know, yeah. they're they're about they're about how we choose to live our lives. They're about you know the future that we want to live, um, as opposed to the future that we we feel like we were heading towards. Um, yeah, and and so I think um, so I think all of these things kind of come together. And again, you know, this 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 whole systems thinking approach, you know, to me to me it all kind of maps into you know a systems view. Um, yeah. You know, you you can't any longer take these things as individual elements. You have to you have to recognize that all of these things impact different parts of the system. Yeah. They you know they you know different parts of the system are impacted by lots of different things, and and so therefore you know bringing bringing all of this together and and having having this view, it's it's a very different. I've, I think for, you know, again, going back to our conversation about, you know, what kind of drives, what kind of drives that change, you know, you've got, you know, if there are, if there are investors and whether they're VCs or banks or whatever it happens to be, who are saying that, you know, we're going to, we're going to take, you know, um, a different approach to our investment mm -hmm. strategy and our portfolios. Um, and they're starting to drive change externally. So from the mm -hmm. outside in, they're saying that, you know, we, we won't invest in you unless, you know, yeah. you, you take this approach and you as a company, you know, have a choice to make now. Do we, do we, do we make those changes to get that investment or do we keep going as we were, um, or try and align with investors who aren't, you know, aren't, aren't, um, trying to force that thinking on our, yeah. those organizations, right? Um, so that's, that's, that's one component of the change. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, you know, looking at, you know, startup organizations where there are more purpose-driven startup organizations, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they're, they're out there because they want to fix a thing. They want to yeah. make a change. They want to, mm -hmm. they want to deliver a value. Right. Mm -hmm. And that value is, is sometimes, you know, not as potentially shareholder friendly, but it's planet friendly, right? Yeah. And it resonates with people. Um, yeah. You know, those are those are organizations who can start demonstrating that there are other ways to run a business. There are other ways yeah. to to get value. There are other ways to you know to provide value. Um, I think so. They they struggle. I mean, I was I'm I I put this on one of my notes um, ahead of ahead of this. They struggle though with scale right yeah and and impact at scale so um i i mean as you know i did a lot of work at lloyd's around purpose um when we were working as a design team and trying to align to the purpose of the the organization which was to help britain prosper and when i did that i i one of the things that we did was took the team to the archives of Lloyd's Banking Group, and I've done this before at NatWest as well, um, because these organizations are like 200, 250 years old, right? So there's this common, I think, um, misconception that um, this small company who've got this really cool new innovative technology and they want to use it to change, um, I'm going to be a bit um, glib now, uh, to change the world, you know. Um, uh, so uh, they've got a piece of technology that's going to um, totally transform the way that people can, um, 
report something that's going on with them from a health condition perspective, um, get that diagnosed, triaged, and get better access to exactly the right doctor. Yeah. Um, so it, it's great. They're using machine learning. They're using a whole data set and things. Um, and they're working on the bias in their data set and all that kind of stuff. It's absolutely great. The potential to impact hundreds of millions of lives. If that organization, that small startup organization with this great technology can, you know, make that work and they, they demonstrate and make it work with a, um, you know, a hospital group in the Midwest US. Great. Just to crack the US, they've got to deal with hundreds, if not thousands of hospital groups. They've got to deal with their Medicare system. They've got to deal with all of this, right? And now move to the UK where you've got a nationalized service. You go to other parts of Europe where you've got, you know, that one company cannot solve the world's problems with that business model of, we, you know. So the, there's a challenge for the smaller companies when they need to try and scale up because they start to enter into systems and multiple systems. Um, but people look at them and go, wow, wonderful, that purpose, that uh, amazing, um, you know, life-saving technology that they're going to be able to do. And then they look at something like a, uh, like a bank um, and they go, banks are big, evil and take my money, um, you know, and they don't really care and they don't have a purpose apart from making money. Well, I went back to the archives and I looked, Scottish widows created because of the Napoleonic Wars and the fact that there were mothers and kids who were, you know, kids were orphaned and mothers um, of those kids who were widowed um, and at that time, it was the men that were earning the money and they were all killed in the Napoleonic Wars. There was a huge societal problem that Scottish widows stepped in to look after that group of people and look after their prosperity. And the words prosperity are in the founding of Scottish widows. The Bank of Scotland was started by a bunch of people who were themselves wealthy at the time, but who were looking at the people that worked for them in many of their estates and businesses and going, these people don't have access to banking. They don't have access to the prosperity that we have. We need to help them. So they set up a bank, the Bank of Scotland, for the prosperity of um, the people who were not like them. Right. And there's loads of social comment we could make on the time period of all of that. But the point, these things were started in this way. And they put a book in a pub in Edinburgh and asked people to come in and sign up. I will put £10,000 towards this. I will put £10,000 towards this. Uh, to start a bank they're founded in and actually most companies are founded in somebody saying i want to make a change and a difference the challenge companies have i think has been over the last 50 years since the cult of shareholder value has overtaken so those companies that had scaled up by the time it was 1970 and then we were getting into the shareholder value where actually um, it's money making money making money making money and they lost their sense of purpose so i don't think that large organizations inherently can't have that purpose and i also think it's a challenge for small organizations to scale and impact that purpose so on one side you've got like uh, an organization like a national bank in the uk 25 million customers if they do something they will have impact but they're so big that they're struggling to make change in a way that is impactful Small company, great idea, which if they had scale would have huge impact, but can't quite get there. And it's a real challenge right now, I think. Um, but I think it all goes back to what you said at the beginning, which is the, the wider systems. 
financial government regulator need to create the conditions um, and are creating some of the conditions for large organizations to change, but they also need to create the conditions for smaller organizations to scale. There's, there's a lot more to it. Yeah, I think, I think you know, government regulation tends to work more at the, the large end of the, the organizational scale. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, small, small organizations, small businesses, startups, you know, they, they kind of almost, I don't know, governments, you know, they set up, they set up, you know, innovation spaces in their countries <clears throat> to, you know, almost as a, as an other to say that we, we support technology, right, you know, in this space. So we'll put a lot of funding into this area and hope that that, that that pushes innovation. I, I look at things like, um, you know, I'm, I'm more fascinated by things, things like, you know, the, the ocean cleanup, for instance, um, wow, yeah. which, you know, which I, you know, I've been following since they, you know, they first started hitting headlines. And, um, and I think, you know, here's, here's, you know, something that is kind of not fundamentally tied to, you know, a specific geography or a specific country um, that is, that is, you know, that is slowly, slowly looking at how it can make an impact. And, you know, I mean, they, they, they talk now about, um, how, um, 80% of the, uh, of, of, um, of river plastic, um, stems from a thousand rivers across the planet. Wow. And, you know, and so you can, you know, it, you know, just that kind of positioning and that kind of messaging and that kind of thinking, starts, you know, it's looking at the ecosystem of, of the planet. It's looking, you know, it, it takes, it takes the ocean, which it was focused on, but then it starts to look at systemically how, how is it that the ocean is becoming so polluted and where does that come from? And then it That's works. That's amazing to, to yeah. boil down like the oceans, like insurmountable to, well, a thousand rivers. A thousand rivers. That's so, not insurmountable. And, right? and that doesn't feel insurmountable. The you know tackling tackling pollution in the oceans, you know, for for you and I, you know, given given the the, the surface area of water on the planet, feels feels like a nearly insurmountable task. How can you send yeah. one boat out to capture yeah. things in the in the ocean and make a difference? But when you start thinking about a thousand rivers, and then you break those thousand rivers down into the geographies they relate to. Mm -hmm. the the countries and states they they reside in yeah um you begin to realize that well maybe we can make an impact you know we can work our way back through that ecosystem and make an impact at that level and and so there's social yeah. good there there's you know there's there's something that there's something that can be taken down to the community level to say mm -hmm. in your community you know your community is one of those thousand rivers right yeah um, you know, in your community, we could do something, you know, yeah. you could do something at a local level, at a state level, at a regional level, um, you know, to, to begin tackling that. And then maybe, then maybe it's 999 rivers yep. <laughs> and then maybe it's, yeah. you know, 750 rivers and then maybe it's mm -hmm. 500, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it, it feels like if you can quantify the problem in a way that people can now get their head around it. Like I can't, I can't mental model removing all of that plastic from the ocean. I can, I can begin to mental model removing all of that waste and plastic from a thousand rivers. Right. Yeah. 
So, so I, you know, I, I think, you know, I think again, some of the, some of the ideas for some of the change, even though these may not be, you know, massive global organizations can have impact on, yeah. on, you know, and this is a design, this is a, you know, again, this is, this is basically a design problem. You know, we yeah. have, you know, you, you, we have, we have all of this plastic in the ocean, right. Is, is, is our problem. How do we, how do we go about dealing with that problem? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you know, you begin by, you know, understanding what it is and where is it coming from? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and once you start identifying, you know, and, and chunking that problem down into something that, that is, you know, that is now a smaller subset of, of tasks and problems that you can actually address. Um, you know, this is where, this is where I think, you know, design method, the approach, you know, design approach, these, these things are all kind of, you know, this is, you know, this, this, this is a big system, right? You know, the, the planet, the planet is a massive, is a massive system and and they've, they've taken in a, in a way without, without maybe saying that we're, you know, we're taking a systems led approach. To solving this problem, maybe they did. I don't know, but, but, but. I, I think I think they inherently did. Yeah. Whether they explicitly did or not, whether, but I think that they must have amassed people who are systems thinkers in 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 how they think. Yeah. Um. You know, not. I don't mean. Oh, their CV says was a systems thinker at somewhere, and now they're working on the ocean. I just mean that's how they think. Yeah. And um, I would I. I Again, like one of we when we talked about what we want to achieve with this chapter, um, because the I mean, I was trying to explain to somebody the other day about why we're writing the book, um, and um, funny enough, I was saying to you before we were um, recording this that I'd spent the weekend on the week on the weekend I'd been on a walk and just said out loud a whole bunch of stuff that I was thinking about this, and. Um, and it was related to systems thinking and how that um, impacts business change and transformation and uh, where that where that plays a role. But also this weekend, I got hold of um, the, the new book from uh, Rosenfeld, the um, uh, Closing the Loop by um, Cheryl Kababa, um, which is a book on systems thinking for designers. And I, I it was uncanny as I started to skim through the book as going, "Yep, yeah, it's it's." exactly what we're talking about just now um and it's also what you and i experienced in our interactions with systems thinkers inside the organizations that we have worked with where design and systems thinking have been working together so you you and i have experienced this firsthand where design and systems thinking work together um not many people have and i was just i was looking at the book thinking brilliant and it it clarified for me one thing which is i think I haven't finished Cheryl's book, but I've been I've been through about half of it, and it's excellent. And if there's any designers listening in right now, whilst it's um, not the cheapest of books, it's definitely worth looking at. Systems thinking for designers. Um, I think what we're talking about is why these things, systems thinking, design, and data, and the role of that, I think as well, what it is that executives in large-scale organizations need to understand and know about this in order to affect a decent transformation and actually effective, sustainable transformation. But, and I think what we're doing with the, what I hope we're doing with the book is the, to the executives version or to the leadership version of what Cheryl's been doing to the designers and I, um, you know, for the designers, sorry, 
which is, you know, I think I think most designers should read her book if they want to understand um, the difference between the great production design work you do and why it's a totally different conversation to be, you know, trying to impact those things that are frustrating you. The designers are often frustrated by my impact hasn't been seen in the world or we're not understood or we're at the wrong table or we're not got the right seats and you know why aren't we having more influence and impact look at my great design work and the great solutions that we've been doing for customers but actually they're talking to an audience that are not yet comfortable with the systemic nature of change that they need to make in their organization and they are taking a very boxy classic mba strategy approach to things um, and that they're just not comfortable with that mindset. And I think I think that's what's got to change is that executive leadership inside organizations has got to become more comfortable with the nature of change that's required to make the big transformation that we have to do as businesses now because it's a systemic level transformation. From the 70s onwards in the growth of shareholder value it was just find things that make more money more money without worrying about the externalities the impacts the ethics um or the wider system impacts on our planet you can go and make a ton of money if you don't care about those things fast right and that was rewarded and now we're saying longer value <clears throat> you still need money and profit in order to be able to reinvest but reinvest towards a certain outcome and it's not going to be a two-year turnaround it's not going to be a three or four-year turnaround so the old strategies don't work and you've got to be comfortable going where we are is not where we want to be we need to make a huge change to get to b you know from a to b but a to b isn't a straight line and and actually if you try and define right now exactly what your target looks like which is what most strategies do. They say, we're going to do exactly this and it's going to look like exactly this. And then they're just ticking off how many bits of that they've got done. That is a route to failure. Because and, and systems level thinking wouldn't let you do that. It would say, let's sense, observe, understand, iterate. But we've got an outcome or a value or a set of principles that we want to be operating from by the time we get there. Um but when we get there, it will still be good for us, but it might not be the thing we thought it was going to be. And that is something I don't think many execs are comfortable with. I, I think, you know, I, I think there's probably a degree of design execs who aren't even comfortable with that. Would you know, it's funny because I was going to say it's something that designers are better at, but then you're right, actually, that let's not just say, you know, well, we're really good at that and we're all really good at that yeah. because we're all humans, right? And I think that there's also, there's also different personalities, right? And that people, individ, people as an individual human may not be comfortable with that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. think I think even... You know, because I, I lumped execs as like everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of everybody, every everybody at that senior level. I mean, I, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. even I think even you know designers like you know like Dieter Rams have have said you know in in more recent years that that they kind of wish they'd they wish they'd taken you know sustainability um, of yeah. the products they were designing and what happens to those materials, the recycling of those materials into account when they were designing the things they did. Yes. And, and I, you know, so I think, 
you know, I think this has been an evolution for everybody. You know, it's not even not even design has you know has kind of fully figured that out. And I, I think no. about I think about things like um, you know you know Joe McLeod's you know work on ends. You know, and, oh, great work. You know, and you know, and and you know, think thinking about endings and ends and you know, engineering, um, mm-hmm. as he as he states in his book, his re- most recent book. He's 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 doing courses now on that. I I am officially an engineer, an, an engineer. Uh, having done his one. Of, I did one of his first courses on it. It's a great course. Um, well, I think um, I think thinking about you know thinking about endings is you know is you know it's it's vitally important, but quite often not taken into account. And I think, I think, you know, Mm. where, you know, where you talked about, you know, organizations not taking into, you know, taking into account the necessarily the implications of the things they're doing, because at the time they're focused on, you know, shareholder Mm -hmm. value, they're, they're focused on, you know, revenue and retention and all these other things that that are very short termist in a lot of ways. And they're not thinking about the, the longer term impacts of the decisions they're making. I, I think as designers, we probably, we probably didn't do that for a very long time either. And, <laughs> and so I think, I think that's kind of, you know, inherent in, in, in who we are. I mean, you know, I think we've, we've talked about arrival before Yeah. and, you know, and I saw a great talk by, you know, by somebody at arrival uh, a year or so ago, year or two ago. And, you know, they were talking about how they, you know, they think through, you know, when they, when they, when they think about the design of their, you know, their, their, their vehicles, they, you know, and, and the systems that create them, they, they think all the way through to end of life of the vehicle and the disassembly of it and what happens to the component parts, how can they be recycled, which Amazing. is, you know, if you think about that at the beginning, then, then, you know, then chances are the, the materials that you use in your vehicles, you're going to choose, you're going to choose materials that you're going to be able to recycle up, upcycle you know, to, to be able to, to do something with, as opposed to, we're just focused on, you know, being able to bung out as many vehicles as we possibly can without worrying about the consequences of what happens to them when they, when they go out of use. Um, Absolutely. And it's a great challenge for designers because it, it just constraints, right. And constraints help us create, um, constraints help us create beautiful, beautiful things. And by beautiful, I mean, beautifully useful um, uh, as well. Um, and, um, the, it's a, it's a difference between considering more externalities and taking more externalities as internalities. And I'm using that language because of the, the other book that I've been rereading is Kenneth Bowles, um, future ethics and, um, and, and his kind of guidance around, um, the, the fact that, ethics or our, our issues with things that we see as unethical actions are normally caused by um by not taking into consideration what it calls externalities so things anything that is outside of the system that you've been looking at designing for and then there are unintended consequences so even though you've designed for you haven't thought through all of the consequences but that's different from externalities which is just stuff that you just haven't even looked at so it sounds like a rival were internalizing more things and looking end to end to anticipate unintended consequences and in kenneth's book he 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 articulates why futures and speculative design are approaches and methods that can really help with that and it, it it situates the 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 way that design 
can and should help with organizations going through big transformation if they are wanting to look at a sustainable future. I don't just mean climate-wise, I mean sustainable business model overall within within our world. Um, then you need to start doing some of this work. And things start to come together, which is, you know, you start to be able to think long-term about a sustainable business model that considers your ethics and place within society and that there is a role for design to play within that. But only if the organisation is also, I think, ready to think at a systems level, which means designers need to be conversant with that as well. Um, And I think you're going to still need all the evidence and insight to track, and that's going to be increasingly through data. So data, systems, thinking, and design become super important. And and I think you articulated before that um, a lot of leadership in large organizations have a limited understanding of data. As like, what data do we have now and how do we um, monetize that? Um, or use it for efficiency inside our organization, right? Um they have a limited view of systems thinking because I don't think most people have been trained, and I mean trained like ex- by by their career experience to have systems level thinking. And then design is understood mostly as a production activity, and designers themselves and design leaders themselves are not conversant enough with systems thinking and data and business to be able to. So there's just a lot of confounding factors. But to your point about Thousand Rivers. Um, you know, it's actually, on one level, I think people have been going, oh my God, it's a big boil the ocean problem. I don't think it is. Um, I think it starts with helping large organizations that are going through transformation understand, make visible a systems level view um, and, and, and start to imbue some of those skills and mindsets in them, which means we need to let go of those craft and skills and mindsets. And that's, that's, the biggest challenge that's where that's where i got to like how these changes impact the role of design in organizations only if design will allow itself to to be used differently but but i also think organizations need to recognize that they need to give design the space to be able to um to think differently and to be able to challenge in a different way. I think, I think, you know, we've even seen it in recent weeks where, you know, a couple of companies, a couple of major companies have disbanded their central design teams and they're distributing design into, you know, into the organization, which, you know, the, to me, to me, the further, the further design gets from the organizational decision-making process, the less impact it has. And so where, where design has become very productionized in organizations, um, it's, it's voice is naturally smaller, you know, it's, 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 um, it's become subordinated into, you know, a delivery mechanism, which from an executive level, you know, sits very far from, from where the decisions are being made. And therefore, it's just being seen as, you know, oh, yeah, those are people that work on the production line. You know, there's a presumption that the thinking has already been done, that so, the shaping has con- already been done. Controversial statement then, um, just to see. Um, um, what if I countered that by saying um, the majority of design is exactly where it needs to be, which is in production. However, 
these changes have not happened intentionally enough. Perhaps if uh, a leadership of organization had a more systems level conversant you know, mindset and approach and had a better control over their data, um, they would indeed still push design out into a lot more production spaces, but on purpose. And you would have a much smaller group of people just helping to um, articulate and map and understand and visualize for a leadership team that were conversant with systems level thinking. Um, and uh, actually the end result might not look like what designers are complaining about or um, want. Um, and it might not look like a, a seat at the table with power and influence. And it, and it might just look like a, um, a studio that supports um, leadership uh, um, strategic decision-making through um, articulation, research, observation, visualization, because that leadership already have a systems level mindset um, and, and, uh, and are bringing the data into better decision-making. Is, is that a possible future, right? Well, I mean, it's... But, but then all the production work would be really valuable and impactful and fulfilling, right? But you don't... Uh, again, controversial statement. Like, I'm just like, you know, counterpoint to that. Well, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's a possible future in, in the way that you've described it. That's, that's, that's an ecosystem where, where, you know, systems thinking is already embedded. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, appreciate I just yeah, said it and, and, and therefore made it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think what's, I think what's happened though, on you know, maybe on the journey to that, um, you know, it, and this goes back to the discussion about, you know, data becoming the next thing and, and then suddenly yep. everything's data driven, you know, and yep. it forgets the humanity, right, side mm -hmm. of, of things. Yeah. So, you know, there has to be equilibrium in that system, right, in, that, in the way you yep. approach things. And I think equally, you cannot just, you cannot just productionize design mm -hmm. without having the, the, the kind of thinking that, that design can engender in an organization mm -hmm. um, being embedded across the organization, because if if you've done that, then nobody is nobody is thinking in that way. I mean, if you if you took an automotive company mm -hmm. and and suddenly you took your you know your your automotive design team, your your industrial design team, and yeah. you embedded them in the manufacturing facility, working in two week sprints, right? Who designs your product? <laughs> who 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 owns the the, yeah. the vision of your product? Who visualizes your product? Who who thinks about the materials? Who thinks about you know if if decisions are being made in two week swathes and there is nobody else who who has the skills or the capability to hold that bigger vision and that shape and to provide that challenge and to and to you know hold people to account in terms of decisions they're making. Then, then what happens inside that organization? I mean, it it, yep. it 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 disassembles really quickly, right? I agree. As soon as you use industrial and product design as an example, it just doesn't. Um, that what I articulated before doesn't hold up. If you if you talk though about businesses that are that are fundamentally service driven, uh, where the offering is a service. Um, do you get into a world in which actually what we're saying is that that equivalent in the in the world of automotive of that team that are really designing the core 
product that goes out to market. Um, that is a business. That is a that is designing a business and a set of services, um, and therefore that is overlapping a lot with organizational design, business strategy, all these areas. Um, is 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 there such a centralized need, or is it actually more about um, the design mindsets, the systems thinking mindsets, and the data mindsets being more imbued in the uh, different functions that actually run and create this business? Um, yeah. Again, I'm just I'm just kind of I'm trying to explore the edges of the thinking here. You know. Well. It's interesting because I, you know, a, a friend of mine posed a question to me the other day, which, which, I I didn't have, I didn't have an immediate answer to, but it's it's stuck in my head, and I've been trying to unpick and unravel it. Um, and that's you know in a in a say a digital organization or an organization where you know digital is the primary method of delivery, right? Um, those organizations set up product teams. And they productize what are essentially services, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, it's you're not you're not delivering a physical thing, but but the but you know, for instance, you know, uh, if it's bank and it's a current account, that's seen as a product. Mm-hmm. But if it's being delivered digitally, it's it's probably being delivered in a way as a service to mm-hmm. to people, right? Um, but you have product managers who who build roadmaps and who you know who you know engage with you know scrum teams and and who see things through right see things being mm-hmm. delivered. Now, if alongside of that you've got teams doing systems thinking and service design and starting to do service mapping and mapping out into the customer and deep into the organization, when you accumulate a whole set of um, you know things that need to be done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as a result of identifying issues across the organization, in a typical organization where you have a, a a kind of very specific, you know, product design team, design engineering, and it's a delivery model that that churns stuff through. Who owns those changes? Yeah. Right. Because yeah. because those changes, <laughs> those changes are no longer just about creating the digital thing, the digital version of a thing and launching that out into the business that those changes may include making a change to an HR process may include making a change to a finance system um, yeah. may may include making change to you know a compliance decision making process yes. Um, yes you know and and, and et cetera et cetera so so who once these things are identified in that type of organization, which is set up in a very specific way, who who oversees those changes? Who who who? Where does the buck stop in terms of ownership of making those changes? I think that's a really, I think that's a really salient point. Which is, it may be that organizations need to go through. Again, we're talking about scaled ones, um, but also when whenever you get to that scale, which is. Okay, so what I've got in my product teams is an ability to deliver change for that um, part, system, subsystem, whatever it it is. Um, I, may, I think what I'm reflecting on what you've said is that the mistake is to continue to think that that is 
the way to continue to run your business. Because now that you've got these different bits, subsystems, if you don't look at it as a system itself, then you won't be able to leverage what you've got. So the the idea that you isolate a product owner and say, now you own this and you own all of these results, um, uh, and I need to give you results that only you own so that we can measure and track and performance manage that and then get and understand our return on investment on that is classic old school shareholder value mindset. Um, instead saying you are a product owner for this, um, you own that this service works the way that we want it to work. Um, now, the way that we want it to work is for these customers in these ways to help them achieve these jobs and tasks. Oh, by the way, I'm just like riffing off of what you said, right? By the way, we've noticed that when your product and Joanne's product, um, you know, come and interact together for a customer, it doesn't work for the customer. So I'm now giving you both an objective that you need to change X in your one and Y in your one, and that is now your priority. Um yeah, but, I, but also I've got this revenue target I'm trying to hit with this product. So, no, this is now your priority because we're fixing this for now. And when that's fixed, you can go back to chasing your revenue target. Some, you're, you're absolutely right. Somebody needs to make that decision. And somebody needs to prioritize that as an overall goal for the purpose of the organization and to have seen that from a system perspective and to understand the implications from an interaction as a, an end-to-end service. So you still need something in that space. I think it's just a really melded, skill set group and i think that if you know any one discipline systems design i mean personally i think systems thinking is a design discipline but that's let's just keep them separate for now because they're really quite identified bodies of people and skills and crafts um but data systems i, I don't think any one of those should be saying well we need to be leading this and i guess that's where with my extreme of like you'll hardly be there at all i was trying to get towards which is i think you're absolutely right that what you've said has to happen but it has to be a melded group of people that are working together and and i wonder who structurally in a, in a hierarchy of an organization is actually running that that's quite interesting yeah it's beyond chief product officer yeah, yeah, it is because it because it, it cuts across it cuts yeah. across disciplines and you know historical educate uh, you know uh, organizational silos. Um, I mean, I you know I think you know th- these are conundrums that I think that I think you know design leaders you know should be struggling with and addressing. Yeah. Um, yeah, these these are the kinds of things that I think they need to they need to have on their you know on their agenda on their roadmaps in terms of. How do we how do we address and tackle and challenge in this space, right? Yeah. Um, as well as as well as support the the, the productionizing aspects of the things yes. that we do, right? Um, because those things need to be done as well. But executives equally need to need to also be much more up to speed um, in terms of the interconnectedness of these things. You know, they don't just run a they don't just run a uh, you know, a, a siloed, you know, a disconnected um, entity within an organization. They run something that is very, also very horizontally integrated, whether they understand or realize that or not. And I, th- and, and, I think that's, and who challenges all of that? I think that's my, um, the biggest, 
biggest message I think I would like to get out of this chapter is that, um, but it's kind of out of the book as well, really, is that um, the um, the necessary mindset to make large-scale transformations in an organization, especially because of the changes in business that we're seeing, meaning that businesses are going to have to work at a much more systems-aware level, the necessary mindset is going to be one in which you don't just say, I've got a target state B and I've described it all perfectly and now I've got a three-year plan to get there bit by bit. You're going to have to be comfortable with, when we say going to be comfortable with change, so many people say, oh, I'm really comfortable with change. And it's, it's bollocks, basically. They're, they're not at all. They've set out a plan um, uh, to mitigate the fact that they're uncomfortable with change. Um to be truly comfortable with change, you're going to have to see that things have not worked the way you thought they would, react in the moment, make a change, uh, and not be certain of where you're getting to uh, as you know, physically described, if you like, but be confident of the principles and the values that you're applying to making decisions and, and that that is leading you towards um, it, the change that you want to see. The people who I think are most comfortable with that are systems thinkers and designers. Um, what I think's happened to design is that it has been, and and you've covered this a lot in a lot of the history, like how did we get here? It has been overproductionized. It has um, come into a culture and an environment now where we, we're seeing big impacts in the world and we want to have those impacts, but we're facing up against the the fact that large organizations haven't changed yet and we're finding that a bit of a barrier. And there's been a lack of investment in designers, business education, so they're not ready to bridge the gap. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see business leaders more understanding that these people, designers and system thinkers, can help them be more comfortable with that mode of change without taking away from their jobs as executives and leaders. But they need to take some of that on and learn from these people. But those people, designers and system thinkers, need to be ready to also understand the world of business leadership and executives in order to be able to have that conversation properly and not have a defensive one around, you know, why aren't I at this table? Why aren't I getting influence doing X, Y, Z? Softly, softly, share the skill set, share the mindset, um, be useful to and, and, and support these leaders in, in what is actually a really complex space to be a leader in. Yeah, it's interesting because I I think you know you 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 know you mentioned you know transformation and and organizations going through that period. I mean that really is a that that really is a period of time where you know we 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 talk about you know we we talk about liminal spaces and yeah, my favorite word, <laughs> your favorite word, and 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 I mean you know transformation is a liminal space in a way. Because because it's that space it's that space that sits between who you were before and who you're going to become right and so I mean I think sometimes in the past we've talked about the period before you go into transformation as being a liminal space itself yeah. whereas 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 I think you know I mean I I think transformation itself is is the liminal space because if you really are going to change if if you're going to say that in three to five years we're going to be operating differently. We're going to be, we're going to have a different mindset. We're going to have a different culture. We're going to approach, you know, products and services in a different way. Um, we may be approaching new, um, new markets, um, you know, new customer types. And 
you know, we we may be, you know, we may fundamentally as an organization not be recognizable from who we were before, mm-hmm. right? And you know, and that is a liminal space because that's the space where everything is is thrown up into the air. Yeah. Um, it's totally unsettled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's as much as you think you're going to plan every aspect of it, you won't. And mm-hmm. you know, and and it's a space where you need you need as much creative thinking, and you need you need as many minds, you know, on on how you go through that change, how you yeah. address those challenges, how you approach things as possible. And, and therefore, if you don't, if, if, if you're either, you know, if, if, if you've, for instance, productionized design, which we've, we've seen a lot, we've seen happen a lot in the last decade with yeah. organizations. If, if your design is, is too overly productionized, the mind space, you know, that, that you need design to be in, um, may not exist. That may be part of the transformation. Part of your transformation may be that you need to recognize that we've productionized design too much, right? And in going through this change in this process over the next three to five years, we need to, we need to rethink and readdress how we, how we engage, right? We need to recognize that, that there, there is always going to be a production aspect to our business because we, we need to, we we do need to get to a point where you know it's the manufacturing process in a you know in a in an industrial company right mm-hmm. we 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 at some point need to have an assembly line where we do build things and we do ship things mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but but that shouldn't be at the expense of also having that that level of creative challenge thinking you know modeling um, yeah. you know sitting sitting in the organization as well and not just in a space in the organization but persistence across the organization. Um, you know, we, we didn't really touch on it, but things like, you know, when, when you, when you take innovation as a thing and you, and you create it as a team and you put it off to the side, right. And you expect it to deliver, you're, you're probably not doing that team, you know, very much service and you're not doing the organization very much service because you've actually fundamentally separated, you know, people who might have the ability to use, you know, some tools and talents and thinking, from the actual delivery of the things that you're 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 delivering at the coal face, right? Yeah. And therefore they're not gaining the learnings from from yes. the struggles that people out there are having, both customers yeah. and and the organization. Um, and therefore you're trying to innovate in a space that is very disconnected from the the issues, the the challenges, um, the problems that people are having. And you know, so I, I so I think you know there you know, transformation needs to be kind of a stripping down and and reformulation of mm-hmm. or, an organization. It needs to be kind of saying that yes, that's how we did things, but we don't have to do them that way yeah, going forward. Absolutely. And we, you know, and you know where where we've talked about design being able to add you know benefit to to a transformation program. First, I think organizations need to recognize that design is about more than production. And, yeah. and if they, if they can get their heads around the idea that maybe we, maybe we have gone too far to one end of the spectrum in terms of mm-hmm. productionizing that capability within the organization, mm-hmm. maybe there's more benefit we could be getting out of it. Maybe that's the time to take the lid off of that and mm-hmm. allow it to allow it to, you know, have some oxygen to, to, to kind of breathe I, within the organization. And my advice to any design leader looking to try and 
you know, initiate that is, um, you know, I, I certainly first one of the things would be to see see whether or not there are people with that kind of systems level mindset or systems thinkers as a craft um, in the organization, certainly, and do this, do this next thing with them. Um, but if not yourself, is to look for the stakeholders with whom they have a complex systems challenge and, and find a way to support them in understanding that better so they can make a different decision. Because the minute that you've got a stakeholder that turns around and says, I couldn't have done this thinking and this decision-making without the help of that craft of design and hopefully system thinking um, as well, um, then that's the moment that a stakeholder is saying, I got a different result by thinking and working differently. And other stakeholders and other leaders will go, okay, that's interesting. How else can we do that? Because it's not going to be the case that we say, well, leaders just need to understand and recognize that. Uh, Actually, it it falls the other way around, which is design leaders need to understand that the gap is a systems level mindset um, and that it's not going to fix itself. Um, And unless there is a single person in an organization with massive influence and authority that has recognized this already and therefore instills it, then you're going to have to do that. And that is a separate thing from the production level. Um, But that production level is how the organization values it right now. So make sure that's working well, right? Because that's your authority, that's your space um, or permission to then do some some other things as well. But if you bit by bit you get some of these stakeholders around um, to thinking differently because you can demonstrate that to them. That's, that's a way in. Um, The other way in is that the, um, is the more traditional kind of hierarchical um, climbing up routes because the, the work of design is contributing so much to the bottom line of the company that you start to go up through that. But when you get to that point, if you don't do, what I've just said about helping other stakeholders with their thinking that is not in a production level, but in a strategy and systems thinking way, then eventually the organization will focus on something else of value or look to commoditize the value you've got. And that's where you start to see the design teams crumbling again. So, you know, whatever, whichever route it is, you get through to that moment, you've got to help other business leaders achieve their goals, reduce complexity, understand systems in a better way and show how, strategic design can help with that in order to, to get it get um to to gain gain and gather that influence but you won't be able to do that unless you understand the business and understand those stakeholders well that's where i'm at with it i and 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 at a fundamental level i i agree with that i i think you need to you know i think these days you need to make your moments um you know, yes yes i agree you, yeah, yeah, you, yes. you, you yeah. You know where 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 design is being productionized in organizations. You need to recognize that that you know your the the momentum the mom, the momentum when that happens is is towards design be, becoming a much more productionized capability, right? Yes. So so it's not likely it's not likely that you're going to be given lots of moments to prove otherwise. So you're going to have to make moments to 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 make that happen. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that, that can be a challenge in organizations where it's productionized to a very rigid standard, right? Yeah. Um, where the delivery model is, is, is very rigid in a sense. 
Um, and people are very subordinated into just, you know, very sliced two week thinking. Um, yes. that, that, that's, it's very difficult to find those moments. It may be that those individuals aren't exposed and probably aren't exposed to other ways of thinking, you know, service yes. design systems thinking. Um, and therefore they don't even know to, to, you know, to ask for that thing. I mean, I, I think about things even, you know, in design, like, you know, that have fallen by the wayside, like information architecture. I mean, you know, there used to be information architects in design and they, they, course, you know, yes. and they, and they had time to kind of, you know, structurally think through an architect, you know, the, the way something worked. Right. And they, they thought through those interactions and that engagement, but, but even that fell by the wayside. And these days designers are being, you know, told, well, you know, you need to do UX and UI, you need to do, you know, UX and, and coding UI and coding. You know, there's, it's, it's, it's gone to, it's gone to a, an end of the spectrum that has, has, you know, has, you know, it, it's, de- it's delivered individuals who, who are very, um, they, they think diverse, I think, but I, I think, you know, in terms of design, you know, become very narrow in terms of, in terms of yes. skills and capability. And, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm quite often talking to, you know, younger designers about, you know, bef- before you, before you decide to make the pivot to become a, you know, a UI designer stroke front end developer, recognize mm-hmm. the fact that, that design itself is a massive ecosystem. It's a massive discipline and you're right at the edge of it. And, and, and instead of going deeper into that discipline, you're taking a light, lightweight step into another discipline, Right. And, and yeah. so you're going to have a little slice of this and a little slice of that, but that doesn't make you that that's not going to make you a, you know, a whole person as a designer, you know, you're, you're missing out on tons of other, you know, um, things that you could be doing and thinking about within design. And those would be the skills yeah. that you could bring to the company. And those would be the yes. things that you get known for. Um, yeah. so, so I think there's, I think there's, I, I think that the way, organizations have gone in terms of, you know, in terms of moving designers into more distributed environments and smaller and smaller ecosystems and working at faster rates and, you know, mm-hmm. focusing on outputs uh, versus outcomes, yeah. I think, you know, yeah. has, has kind of engendered that happening. Um, and, yeah. and I think we now have a generation of designers who don't recognize that these other things, you know, for those of us who've worked in the business for 25, 30 years, they, there, there's, there's a whole generation of designers now who don't even understand that all these other things were part of the the purview of design at one time um, within yeah. organizations. And so I think we need to be careful of that, and we need to we need to be careful of what expectations we have and and what designers you know designers are capable of today. Have they you know if they haven't been exposed to some of these other things? I think organizations yeah. need to be careful that they're not missing a trick, a massive trick in terms yes. of, in terms of, you know, you, you subordinate, you subordinate a function so much, you're only going to get so much out of it. And when you then press that, that, that discipline and say, well, what value do you provide? Well, we provide value in the context that, you know, that, that you've given us at this end of the yeah. scale, right? So we can, yeah, we yeah. can only provide so much value. We could provide so much more value. But we're not mm-hmm. being given that 
space, that opportunity. We've, you know, you've, you know, we're, we're now, you know, we're, we're mechanics now changing, you know, changing a tire, changing a muffler, you know, we're, we're not, we're not designing the car. Um, you know, there's, there's a difference here. So, so I think, um, I think we need need to be careful about that. That's probably speaking to death. That's speaking to the beginning of one of the other chapters, which is, you know, what we think the role of education in, uh, of designers is going to play going forward. So I think that, I, I think this conversation has helped me be clear that although we were talking about the, this chapter as being how changes in business impact the role of design in orgs, I think there's a, again, mostly focused on um, other leaders in the organization understanding the role that they could have design play. Um, and I think the design leaders should. We, I, I hope the chapter will be useful for design leaders, but that they'll be reading it as something that is spoken to other leaders in the organisation, right? Because then I think that we can talk in the chapter around education for designers about what needs to change at all levels of career um, in uh, for designers, and I think that would be specifically for them and i think the roles are then reversed that other leaders in the organization would would be reading that chapter and understanding okay so this is the change that designers need to be supported to go through right um so if you have got large scaled design teams then this is the kind of education that they would need because organizations invest in education for their skill sets all the time right um um but i think that yeah, well, we'll come to that when we talk about that chapter. But I think organizations see design education as teach them about UX and Figma, right? Whereas actually, perhaps, you know, hire the, hire the skills and then teach them the other things. Um, that would be the, the investment. But I think we'll get to that in that chapter. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. Interesting. Well, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the book in one chapter as well. I feel in a way. It, it is in a way because because even even the talk about how design has become productionized will be earlier yeah. in the book as well. Um, yeah. you know the kind of the history and how we we've gotten to today. Um so so I mean <laughs> the, the 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 this particular this particular episode has taken us on a on a kind of grand tour of some different elements of the book not all but but like a number of a number of different areas of the book um so like my hope in people listening to this um is going to be that there's like probably so many different things in there so like i'm i'm wondering what people will think about um whether we've covered the bases if you like um, I'm wondering whether people will, um, you know, what people will think about the way we've used certain terms, strategic design, production, you know, liminal thinking, um, even because we're not, you know, trained, crafted systems thinkers, as it were. So we're, you know, we're talking about somebody else's craft a bit. I'd be really interested to see um, what what people think about that, because we've probably missed a whole bunch of like articulations that could be really useful. Um uh, I'm I'm hoping that people listening to this will have some comment and that our networks will come to us and you know um, help us a little bit with that because um, there's a lot to unpack in there. There's so many different things you could fall off on a, a go through a, a different rabbit hole on. Um, yeah, I mean yeah. there there are quite a number of areas that we could do. We could just do entire episodes mm-hmm. just on a single topic. Um, yeah, 
So, you know, and, and maybe we will. <laughs> yeah, maybe we will. Um, and it's certainly, I mean, I'm not going to start to name people now, but um, it, I, it's, it's making me think about people that I'd love to interview um, uh, to, to input to this. And um, if anybody's listening uh, to this and thinks that there's somebody that we should meet and talk to that would uh, help with this, that would be also great to hear about as well. Yeah, I mean, the whole point is to have this conversation out in the open. Um, yep. So, yep. you know, we're, you know, yes, we're working on, yes, we're working on the book. Um, yes, we're doing the podcast, but but the the idea is we're, we're creating the book kind of in, in the public space, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so there shouldn't be any, you know, major surprises apart from, you know, things <laughs> that we, we continue to add. Um, we continue yeah. to add yeah. to it as we, as we talk more and learn more and listen to other people. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go and let all of that ruminate um, and also pass it through Descript to get it transcribed. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the lazy person's way of writing a book. Talk, get a machine learning thing to transcribe it. And then, no, obviously there's a lot more to it than that. But (laughs) Um, but, no, it's been a a good conversation. We we need to start Um, doing these, you you know, later in the afternoon so that we can, you know, we can crack the martinis after we're done with the session. Okay, definitely, definitely. And then there's a whole other conversation. And then there's the (laughs) follow-up conversation, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Martini fuel. Oh, brilliant. Great. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Liminal Leaders. If you want to learn more about this podcast its hosts or guests go to liminalleaders.com we'd love to continue the conversation with you our listeners hear your feedback about this episode thoughts about who we should talk to next post questions you'd like us to consider in future conversations and as always suggestions for new and interesting cocktails to get us through the long nights ahead thank you for listening 